survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I am your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. We're kicking off our podcast series featuring 19 stories and perspectives on how COVID-19 has created an imperative for change and what leaders and organizations are doing to respond to that change. Today, I'm talking to Jason Megson. Jason, currently a leader at AmeriHealth Caritas, focuses on how to create a thriving organization. He has written three books. His latest book, Engaged, covers 25 practices for creating a thriving organization. Earlier, Jason co-authored Idealized Design, Dissolving Tomorrow's Crisis Today with Russell Acroft and Herb Addison. To balance out his business books, Jason wrote a humor book, Laughter is the Salt of Life. He has published articles in Harvard Business Review, Journal of Product Innovation Management, and Journal of Business Strategy. In his years of long searching for approaches that lead to more impactful results, Jason identified and combined practices from multiple fields, producing a powerful approach to employees and user engagement in transformation that impacts the bottom line. Jason has used these practices to deliver extraordinary results for organizations such as Glasgow SmithKline, Amazon, AmeriHealth Caritas, Merck, Penn Law School, Ikea, and Jones Lang LaSalle. Jason has facilitated transformation in functions, including R&D, manufacturing, software development, new product development, healthcare, service design, and the list goes on and on. Before I spend too much time on his accomplishments, which I could easily do, I'd like Jason to introduce himself. Thanks for your kind words. Appreciate it. I basically um, have had a core value throughout my career. I believe everyone has a chance to um, shape things that affect them, like their work, where they live, the opportunities they, they have in life. I think in the best organizations, people are really valued. They have an opportunity to participate in work that gives them meaning, purpose, challenge, impact, and last but not least, get recognized for it. I have a background studying systems thinking and design in school. And my thesis was actually on involving users in designing products, services, systems, processes, facilities, things like that. One of my topics actually was designing supermarkets for senior citizens. That was really fascinating because I involved groups of senior citizens in designing their ideal experience, you know, things where they can see prices, they can reach the items and things like that. So there's been a combination of um, user-driven design and then also involving the employees who are, um, you know, creating things to serve their customers in the design process. I did spend about 10 years in business consulting, so I'm re- still recovering from that. But I also spent 15 years in pharmaceuticals, as you mentioned, GlaxoSmithKline. I think you mentioned Merck, as at Wyeth. And what was really cool was seeing the potential for involving people and then being able to have great ideas that they either had 
for years sometimes, or you know maybe they come up together collaboratively and then see it make a you know really huge impact on the business. Jason has a lot of experience, not just in listening to others' opinions, but also in incorporating their ideas. I admire how he values what others have to say, particularly users. Jason also takes into account when people will need to use a space. He tells me about one particular example. I think a really good example from GlaxoSmithKline was, um, you know, we used this process called idealized design that came out of Bell Laboratories. And we wanted to basically to be able to design a facility for research and development. The ambitious goal that we had was to be able to build it from ground up in 12 weeks. And we ended up not being able to build a brand new building within 12 weeks, but we ended up being able to fit out space in five weeks by having a, like an open space with a lot of the what they call the services in the ceiling, like the gases, the electricity, the liquids, ventilation for the you know fume hoods and things. You're able to create a space that's configurable pretty rapidly and you could roll benches in on wheels and equipment and all that. So we actually got it to the point where, you know, this space could be set up in five weeks. And that's really important, not just because you're not tying up capital building, but the other thing is that when we're looking at COVID-19, to be able to rapidly move and set up the space, that's really important and essential. And when you have companies like where you have scientists and engineers involved and they're shaping it, then you can move faster. You can you know, have people excited about the impact, but it's also helping to be able to get the medicines to the people who need them quicker. Just observing over my career, the power of, of involving your your customers, your employees, your suppliers, that's been, that's been something that's been really exciting and um, it really makes people feel alive when they come to work and it's exciting. Over the course of this past year, most of us have seen great upheaval in how we work. I think Jason's idea of involving and engaging the broader workforce for better results could not be more imperative. In backtracking a bit, I talked to Jason about what March was like exactly one year ago at the start of the pandemic. He tells me about his work with vulnerable groups. It was actually a pretty exciting time because we're, we're doing a lot of this type of work that I've done previously in my career. One of the projects I was working on was something with caregivers. I should just mention a little background on AmeriHealth Caritas. It's a really, really cool work environment. And we serve disadvantaged populations with healthcare plans and solutions. So we're involved in Medicaid, Medicare, what's something that's called long-term services and supports for people who might be elderly or disabled and need help with being able to essentially be able to stay living in their home instead of you know having to go to an institution. So there's things like quality of life that are really important. And then we have behavioral health and things like that. So I was working with the group in the company that supports caregivers for elderly and disabled members. Some of the things we're doing was having sessions with um, caregivers to say, like, how can we support you in terms of taking care of your loved one in case of a family member as the caregiver? And so we get all these ideas that they come up with, and then we say, okay, now how can we implement that? And that really make a big difference in people's lives and, and make it more exciting to be working at the company. I was involved in um, some stuff around promoting health equity for minority populations and also with the uh, LGBTQ plus community. There's a lot of basically disparities in terms of healthcare, And so we're trying to work with some of our health plans and some of the people in the community to say, you know, 
how can we really improve this? And then work with the, the medical providers and say, what can we do that's going to really, really help there? And so, you know, when COVID hit and then also when we had a lot of the um, basically another civil rights movement in the country, you know, around the minorities, it was really good, good timing because that really highlighted in the country that we really need to do something. The pandemic brought to light many of the issues that Jason and his team were trying to address. In a time of great change, this was change that was helpful. However, I don't want to underestimate their response to social movements. After all, the timing is only perfect if you seize the moment. So a few months before the pandemic really took hold, which for, for us was like around the March timeframe when everybody was pretty much sent, sent home to work from home. We had launched uh, an, an enterprise optimization program, probably going back to the beginning of 2020. The engagement, it kind of grew slowly, but we've gotten up to the engagement of hundreds of people in the company that are um, generating ideas for how we can improve our efficiency and, and effectiveness as a company, but also how do we serve our members and also the healthcare providers that we, you know, are part of our network. We've gotten a lot of people engaged, which is really exciting because um can be tough you know when you're when you're at home you, you could be kind of isolated but through this whole effort and all these initiatives it's really brought us together like you feel a sense of meaning when you're getting on a zoom call or you know whatever technology you're using so we're able to do those things and then we also have like some longer term objectives like how do we enhance cultural characteristics in the company how do we enhance some things around the organizational processes like how we make decisions the the speed of the decisions or how many people need to be involved, uh, how empowered people feel. And we're trying to like accelerate the ability to deliver a, the mission and values. So there's some really cool things that we do with the mission. Like we're trying to help our members to reach their American dream. It's not just about their health, but it's also about empowering those in need and then helping them, you know, become well, have resilience and be successful, happy members of, of the society. So we had this program that we had started, and then when we pivoted, we kind of accelerated what we were doing with the program so we could get more people involved as employees and you know have them feel like they have more meaning in their work. They're making an impact in the days that they spend. So you kind of shift where there's like more excitement about coming to work, so to speak. I love that Jason and his team began the work of engaging employees before the pandemic made it necessary for companies to consider this. However, he says that you didn't have to start before lockdown to execute engagement successfully. Companies should begin today and still see results. But with the obstacles businesses are being forced to overcome in these times, how important is employee engagement exactly? Well, Jason has studied this field for many years, and it hasn't always been easy. For nearly two decades, the number of employees disengaged at work has averaged 70%. In fact, U.S. businesses lose $11 billion to staff turnover each year. When an engagement is down, the entire company suffers. In a time like COVID, many businesses can't afford to take that hit. With the hundreds of hours many of us have now spent on Zoom calls, it can be difficult to stay focused, engaged, and motivated. For me personally, part of my greatest challenge was keeping myself and my team consistently motivated throughout this past year. It seems like now more than ever, leaders must pay attention to employee engagement. 
In fact, working in this field for many years, Jason has seen this need grow. I know the background of employee engagement, and it's not a pretty story in terms of the studies that are done like by various groups like Gallup and others. Generally, having employees be engaged, you know, the engagement levels could be low, people could be going through the motions, or they don't feel like really excited or stimulated a lot of times by what their companies present to them in terms of opportunities to make a, a you know really big impact. At the end of the day, people really want to make an impact in their work. They want to make a difference. They want to get some appreciation, some recognition. When you go into the remote working in a traditional environment, you know, it's much harder to monitor the work to, you know, if you're working from home. It's even more important to really understand like how to intrinsically motivate people so that they'll stay engaged, productive, and find meaning. When a company is going through multiple changes, how can you have the time to address company disengagement? Jason believes you can solve both issues at once. Say, for example, you were to say, we have this particular challenge at the company that we would like to get input from people. You could say, who would like to volunteer or to offer ideas and get involved in this challenge? Or you might have multiple challenges going on. You could have people doing their day jobs and then through excitement about like, hey, I'm working on this really neat thing, solving this problem, or, or there's an opportunity, I could then like feel more meaning and then you're going to be like more engaged in your company and stuff. So a lot of times companies are just getting a fraction of the energy and enthusiasm of the employees. There's ways like what I'm seeing where I am, where, you know, you're just really excited and you might put more time in and I want to advance this so I can keep this moving or, you know, make make this other little improvement here. So when you have a lot of those different opportunities for people and then to not only give ideas, but then also to, to get involved in the solution, that's really, that's really neat. Before last year, there was a remote workforce, albeit small. Now that many people, in some cases, entire companies have moved online, Jason has witnessed how the sudden telework for all others has shifted company dynamics. When we had remote workers before COVID, it was a lot harder for them because they would like not necessarily be involved in like every conversation or they would dial in, but then they would miss the stuff between meetings and things like that. And COVID-19 was like a bit of a, like a leveling, leveling the playing field. And, and again, I know I'm talking about workers that and workforces that had to go home. I know there's a lot of people that are essential workers and like hospitals and supermarkets where you know, this, this isn't exactly, you know, what I'm talking about doesn't exactly apply. For a lot of companies, that is the case. So these remote workers that, you know, didn't necessarily have the full connection, now that now it's a level playing field and they can feel a part of it. And I know our company, just in, in like, in my area of the company, like we've hired some workers from Denver and Phoenix. They don't need to relocate. They're really super talented people. That's like kind of a little bit of a silver lining with, um, you know, finding out that if everybody has to be remote or most of the people, then you can then get these other people involved and they're going to feel like they're on a level playing field. So how can companies foster more employee engagement? Is it even possible to build employee engagement into the structure of a company's work culture? We have like a number of people that are involved. Unfortunately, we have a lot of talented people that work together to make it happen. One of the ways to get started is that, you know, you can come up with a plan of how you're going to engage like more people in the workforce so we have like a small group of us that are coming up with the planning process and the design for how to engage those people so one of the ways is to put in place an infrastructure for idea capture 
if you're going to talk to the employees or put out a communication of, of here's what we're doing, what's a mechanism for them to be able to say, hey, I have some ideas on this and um, to be able to submit those. Then there's another piece, which is how do you have people be able to express like, I would really love to be involved in this. I would like to you know, make a difference. Sometimes we take some methodologies or approaches from different fields and I like to kind of combine a lot of fields to get creative innovations and so some of the stuff comes from change management there's various types of change management like ProSci there's various tools around getting stakeholders involved there's other stuff from people like John Cotter who is a change management person from Harvard who uh, has this concept of a volunteer army where people can um, express an interest in getting involved in you know making improvements so you put in place like a plan for that, you know, you communicate it out and then people can submit ideas. And you also have like a governance process to review those ideas, which we fortunately have something like that, that, you know, we're putting in place where you, those can be reviewed and then you can decide how are we going to uh, proceed? What do we want to pick? And then in some cases you might be making investments in the ideas and you have a process there and you might, you know, come up with business cases depending on how big the ideas are and and the investment and the time and resources it's going to take. And then there might be some things where they're really kind of no-brainers or they're, they're easier things to do. You know, it doesn't really cost much money. So just as an example, if you want to get more cross-functional collaboration, as you may know, like a lot of organizations or human beings in general, they kind of form into tribes. And there's like, there's a book called Tribal Leadership, and, and I don't know if it's part of a, like they're part of the history of humankind, but um, you tend to form groups and then they identify with each other. And then the challenge in the organizations and um, the best organizations is bringing those people together to collaborate. So one of the ways that you sometimes could do it is it's very simple. It's like if you're actually in person, you could have like a, a lunch lottery and people could get assigned to somebody who's not in their area and they would just have lunch together and then they know someone from another part and then you're starting to build these bridges across. Or you do like the volunteer army where you get people engaged in um, some of these initiatives. They get to know each other and then they have this positive relationship with each other. And then they're like, before you know it, you're having a lot like magical stuff is starting to happen. So that's some of what we're trying to do around that. And we do have also like an external focus where we're trying to make sure our company is focusing on opportunities outside or some of the needs that maybe are unmet, you know, with our stakeholders, our customers, our members we're serving, then trying to reach out to some of those partners out there, like uh, state governments and, you know, explore, how can we improve this together? How can we make more of a difference? I love Jason's reference to Dave Logan's tribal leadership. In that book, Logan studied dozens of organizations over the course of 10 years to see how tribal culture forms. In other words, how cliques crop up in organizations and how leaders can leverage those groups to create a more collaborative environment. There are five stages beginning with the most negative and uninvolved to the most positive and engaged. So in this tribal leadership concept, most organizations are at this level or stage three. Basically, the concept is I'm great and you're not. And so there's people that are empowered and people who maybe have less power and there's not there's not collaboration across the departments really well that's going to give satisfaction and meaning and an impact and certainly not a thriving organization which is one of the things we're focusing on today and sometimes you can tell the stage where a company is like if you're in the company and you're listening to like elevator conversation and when you're riding the elevator or you're in a cafeteria you can kind of find out what, what stage you are at either a department or, or the company as a whole but then the stage four 
is like we're great together. You know, you have competition that you're focused on beating the competition, and so you're you're making more of a difference there where you're actually working together really well. The most rare one is this stage five where it's like we're changing the world, where maybe your competition is cancer, and so you're like really like have super meaning, or maybe you're like you know with the Kennedy administration where you're trying to get to the moon by the end of the 1960s. So you have this mission that's really changing the world, and so people are like so engaged, and you know it's hard to stay at that level. That's kind of one of the aspirational things, and so by having these concepts, and then consciously working on the culture to try to get you to those stages, there's various different tools, and some of I talk in my book Engaged about some different ways that you can get to that level, and、um, makes it more exciting to be at work. So like you're excited to come in on a Monday rather than. Can't wait till Friday, kind of thing.、Mm, exactly, and a little shout out here to Tony Shea of Zappos, unfortunately passing away so young, but a great leader. And you actually illustrate in your book the way in which he was so passionate around working on the culture and focusing on the core values, so that they weren't just words on a page; that the community really、uh, embraced them. Jason's new book does a great job running through the ways in which leaders can move their organization or department up to the fifth stage. If you're in a position of authority in your company, I would encourage you to pick up Engaged. Only two percent of the organizations studied are at stage five. COVID has generated a lot of change in people, in organizations, and in the world. Jason and his team were doing engagement work last January, even before the pandemic. But I wanted to know what surprised him the most during this pandemic. Well, one of the things was I was really surprised at how effective remote working technologies, you know, have been. I really like face-to-face, and I think there's the, there's really great things that can happen face-to-face. And so I, maybe before this, I would rely more on face-to-face. But、there's all kinds of complexity of getting people together and more costs and stuff, and so I was really pleasantly surprised how well it works, where you have、uh, the the remote technology and it brings people together. Like so, if you combine that with、um, enhancing your mission and you know working on improving the culture and making efficiency improvements and collaborating, it takes away some of the sense of isolation of being in you know for those of us who are in our house all the time, you know. It really can create a connection, so I was, I was really surprised by that. I am looking forward to having in-person contact. Maybe some combination of those is going to come out of after we get COVID under control. And as I mentioned before, this idea of a level playing field for remote workers—that was a surprise, and that was a pleasant surprise because a lot of people who are working remotely sometimes they feel like they're not part of the—I don't know if it's the in crowd, but they're not—they're not on the inside because they miss out on a lot of those conversations. That's been really cool. The other thing too is that maybe a little bit of a surprise, but you know, you really you can go far beyond surviving, and you can actually thrive with this remote working and stuff, which is what a lot of us are doing. So that was another thing, which is kind of aligned aligned with the theme of what we're talking about today: is you know, thriving, not just surviving, but thriving. But I was pleasantly surprised at that. You know how how you really can use these technologies and you know ways of collaborating to thrive. I think many people are starting to see it is possible to have an entirely remote company that functions properly with the right technology, but for a business to not just perform virtually but perform virtually at high levels, 
what can they do to make sure productivity doesn't suffer? I think they need to really understand human motivation. And a lot of it's intrinsic. If people want to come to work to have, to have meaning, connection, you know, purpose, be challenged at a level where it stretches. It's not too much, but it's, it stretches and then they can have a chance to keep developing, have a chance to make an impact. Jason touches on something that I think is important to remember, but can oftentimes go unseen. Another area that I like was almost going to forget about, which is the whole area of like unconscious bias, where like a lot of times there's vast segments of a, of an organization that are there. They feel disengaged because like people don't realize they're not like intentionally excluded, but they're just not asked. Maybe people kind of go to the same people all the time and then people are like, well, I could do that too. So consciously saying, how can we involve everybody it can be easy to fall into the pattern of asking the same people to do the same tasks. As a leader, they're your go-to. You know the task will get done in the manner that you like. However, that pattern can sometimes exclude those who would have also excelled in that area if given the chance. Jason believes that giving everyone a chance not only involves them more so that the organization can become more productive and creative, it also does something else. It helps people grasp their full potential. If you give everybody a chance, then there's some people are going to be excel in different areas, but then people have a chance to find their spot where they're their niche. All of us have like, you know, immense talents and all of us have like blind spots or areas where we're not talented because our brains are, we're all unique and our brains are different. I'm not going to do the same physics like that Einstein does, but ever, if I did it for a million years. I might have other talents <laughs> in creativity, you know. <laughs> You're an Einstein in your own way, Jason. Come on. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I think we're all Einsteins in, in a way, but a lot of times it's not discovered. So I think if we can discover that. As the saying goes, everyone is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. So how can you implement a way to engage others and their talents within the organization? Jason says, go big and go small. To thrive, you need to understand that. You need to then put in place like an infrastructure and a program that can bring that about, that engagement and stuff. It's almost like you need to identify broad areas of need, broad areas of opportunities, have like a vision for the company where it's like something that's really exciting. And I don't know, it could sometimes, a lot of times be set at the top. They set like a five-year strategy. If it's really exciting, then people can get engaged. Then involve, you know, invite your employees into that. And also don't forget that a lot of improvements, not just like with grand strategies, but it's also with like day-to-day. -day. How can we make small improvements? If you make a thousand small improvements, it really adds up and makes a difference. Like it competitively differentiate you as well. So you want to have like a lot of small ideas and they can kind of revolve back and forth, almost like a heart beating. They interact with each other and then they help move the company forward. And the small ideas are also the fuel because they take less time. And so people can maybe get rid of some of their cynicism that we're going to actually change. And then they can start to see progress. Then you work with those cultural things, too, in terms of thriving. You got to work on those things as well because, you know, culture eats, strategies launch. In talking about fostering culture and engagement, Jason likens the process to a garden. In my previous episode with Steve Van Valen, he also equated culture to planting a garden. Great minds think alike. 
You want to get the right culture of collaboration. So it's like a really a mix of a lot of things that you need to be doing, kind of like to get a, a garden to grow. You need to have the soil, you need the sunlight, the temperature, the water, you know, the nutrients. You need to have the right seeds, all that stuff. There's a lot of things you need to bring together to make that happen. Something that I admire in Jason is his admiration of others. As a leader, it can be all too easy to overlook the members of your team and their specific assets when there's so much work to be done and the pressure is on. Jason, however, is enthusiastic and dedicated to the idea of setting up a system that allows your team to thrive. In terms of like people rising to expectations, they're going to like rise to a level of expectation. So like my one thing for like, whether you're like an executive or whether you're a supervisor or you, you don't have anybody reporting to you, but you know, you have all these peers, people um, have immense talents and abilities. And like, if they're asked to get involved and they feel like they have a chance to make a real impact, they can really rise to the occasion. So I would say if we can, along the themes of thriving in the era of COVID and I think if managers and non-managers can think about their colleagues and say, you know, what can we do that's going to inspire people or how can we raise our expectations about what people do and see the, see the really positive side of humanity? I mean, I think there's so much potential that organizations can do. And it's not just, it's not just pie in the sky because you can actually get, you get really dramatic business results from this. You're changing people's lives that you're serving if you're like, say, if you're in healthcare. You know, even some of the things that, like, we didn't realize as a society were really essential workers, like supermarket workers. They're just amazing. They're providing nutrition and nutrients to people, and it's just amazing. And just that whole angle, I mean, there's ideas there. So everybody has ideas. If you can start to create that kind of um, approach in your organization, I think that's going to not only make your organization thrive, but make it a place where you really are excited about, you know, you're proud of working there and you're excited about going and going there figuratively and literally to make a difference. Great. Well said. Yeah, I totally agree that people will rise or fall to the level of your expectation. Well, thank you so much. How can folks get a hold of you, Jason, if they want to ask some questions, maybe get to know you a little bit, uh, share some of their own stories? Sure. Well, so probably the easiest way is LinkedIn. You know, there's not that many Jason Maggotsons. I think there's maybe two or three in the world that I know of. One's in South Africa, so it'll be pretty easy to find me. And I know my name's not the easiest, so I'll spell it as M-A-G-I-D-S-O-N. My email is jasonmaggotson at gmail.com. That's another good way. I like talking with people. So if people want to reach out, that would be really cool. And I can personally attest that Jason is wonderful in his... uh outreach and uh, compassion and care for for people uh, being somebody that he's helped along the journey in my own career. So I appreciate that, Jason. Thank you. If you are going to reach out to Jason, just mention that you heard about him on this podcast. So he has a little context, perhaps that's always helpful. Anyway, well, Jason, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciated the time. And I always love our conversations. I always feel like we could spend hours talking about uh, subjects that we're both passionate about. So really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.